Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse offer a card-by-card breakdown of occult correspondences and symbolism in the tarot. If you're a new listener, you may want to start there. In this season, we've been leveling up and examining each correspondence system on its own. First, we looked at the seven traditional planets in tarot, and then at the numbers one through ten in tarot. And with this set of episodes, we're doing a deep dive into each of the twelve signs of the zodiac in tarot. Remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something utterly opaque, we have lots of resources on our website to help with some of the more obscure esoteric doctrines that we deal in. That website is www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 650 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode we have a giveaway. The prize for our last episode on the sign of Libra was a custom perfume designed by me, and our winner was Andrew in South Carolina. Congratulations, Andrew. If you're not Andrew, you can always order your very own custom perfume based on your sun, moon, and rising signs at my Etsy store online at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. In this week's episode, we're talking about the dark and powerful sign of Scorpio. We'll be offering our winner their choice of the black and white edition of Mel's mid-sized Tabula Mundi deck or the oversized black and white major set, which is perfect for the transformative experience of coloring the artwork in yourself. You can, of course, also order both of these at Mel's website, www.tarocart.com. As always, all Fortune's Wheelhouse patrons at the $3 level or higher are automatically entered in the drawing. If you're not a patron and you would like to be, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash Fortune's Wheelhouse. And now, here's this week's episode. Hi, everybody. We are here to bring you an episode on the zodiacal sign of Scorpio today and its application in esoteric tarot. Ways that you will see Scorpio, ways that you can deal with it, things that you will do and will be done to you. (laughs) Bye, Scorpio. (laughs) All right. The cards that we'll be talking about are, of course, the death card, which is associated with Scorpio, uh, the five, six, and seven of cups, which are the decanic minors of Scorpio, the prince or knight of cups, whose domain covers the first two decans of Scorpio and, of course, the last decan of Libra. And then the final decan of Scorpio belongs to the king or knight of wands. We'll also be touching on the ruler of Scorpio, Mars, who is represented by the tower and the elemental major of 
water, which is the hanged man. Okay, so in terms of technical details on Scorpio, it is a negative or yin or uh, feminine, so-called feminine or night sign. It is of the elemental triplicity of water, and its motor quadruplicity is fixed, not going anywhere. Its, yeah. <laughs> its ruler is Mars, and that means that Venus is in detriment because they're always reversed like that. And um, Modern ruler Pluto. Modern ruler Pluto, exactly. The first of the modern rulers that we have here. And the moon is in its fall because it's exalted in the opposite sign, which is Taurus. Uh, uh, as we talked about in the last episode, we've gone from the diurnal or male sign of Venus to the nocturnal or feminine sign of Mars, which is kind of interesting and kind of speaks to their reciprocal relationship. So Scorpio, no matter how far back you go, Scorpio just means scorpion. And it's the same in Latin and Greek, basically. Thought that they all come from a Proto-Indo-European root meaning to cut which I guess has to do that with... That makes sense with Mars. <laughs> yeah, the painful severing aspects of Mars, uh, the sting of the scorpion. <laughs> and that, you know, that really brings up a key word for me with Scorpio is penetrative. Yes, yes, particularly. Yeah, and whereas the axe of Aries, you know, separates and causes blood to flow, the scorpion's tail stings you and penetrates the skin. Um, introduces into your own bloodstream its venom. That actually is a really good uh, representation of fixed water, the idea of the scorpion's tail injecting like a herp mm. hypodermic needle its venom into what is already a sort of waterway or, or course of a current running throughout your body. The um, bloodstream. The bloodstream. The one-way rivers of the blood, the plumbing of the body. And that's one way to think of Scorpio as a wet water sign. Although there's a lot of, you know, inevitably with Mars, you always get dry imagery as well as wet. And that's true mm. with Scorpio as well. I mean, a scorpion is a desert creature, although it carries this venom uh, inside its body. We're always dealing with... Issues with Scorpio of death and mortality, partly because of the time of year in the Northern Hemisphere we're talking about. It is the time when everything is uh, drying up. It's the Samhain season. It is the thinning of the veil, the time when ghosts go abroad. Power, depth, secrecy, desire, mm -hmm. attraction to the secret and the forbidden yeah, an attraction to danger generally as a as an armored creature the the scorpion carries its weapon and is protected against other weapons so there's a there's attraction to the undersides of things that which is unseen and secret and yeah, perilous. Some of the archetypal, you know, figures of Scorpio would be the psychologist that's digging into your psyche, the the sorcerer or black ma magician, the, <laughs> the femme, private the detective, femme, <laughs> the femme fatale, you know, the, um, yeah. the spy and the detective. Yeah, absolutely. Those they're, who look into hidden things. diggers. Mm -hmm. They see things we don't. And, and they conceal their own motives quite easily. There, there's a lot of passion 
going on under the depths but calm on the surface they don't like to reveal their you know their motives or what's going on underneath there yeah there's an enormous amount of external control going on mm. uh, you know that's and something that's you know mars that's the mm-hmm. controlled will of mars the powerful will Right, right. It is the protective armor. You know, you can't tell what's going on inside. In Linda Goodman's astrology book on the signs for Scorpio, she says, the person that fixes you with a hypnotic gaze and doesn't blink and says, you can't guess what I am, is a Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I think hypnotism is is, is a key uh, yes. concept yep. for, for Scorpio. Yep. They, they do have that, you know, thousand yard stare. There's something about that that's, you know, deeply unnerving and is a skill that belongs to the water suits, you know, the, the ability to kind of get under your skin like that. One thing I, I, I think about the water suits is that there, there's something that the mind is powerless against, <laughs> you know, right. there's a magnetism, a charisma, a sort of like hijacking of the emotional space that right. um that like the, it, you know it's like the the snake and the snake charmer <laughs> yeah yeah there's the power of the gaze to compel right and there there's something about that that is a true art of cups something like you know we talked about how dance seems kind of specific to libra i always think that music is some ways very specific to scorpio and the 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 song of the snake charmer you know there's something about um cups and music that go together, the ability to go beyond words or uh, or circumvent words. Music to calm the savage beast. Yes, <laughs> but the savage beast is also there. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I also think of like, you know, vampires as being very scorpionic. Oh, yeah. Their, their totally. black capes and their, their stare and their lack of reflection in the mirror. You know? Yeah, and their penetrating teeth. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And and the and the idea that they're nocturnal too, they're probably really good poker players too because they don't want to show yeah. what's going on, you know, with that poker face. Yeah, they, you know, they could be boiling inside and frosty on the outside. <laughs> There's also an element of seeing beneath the surface of things, which mm-hmm. I think can be both a liability and an asset. You know, the ability to see beyond the surface is great until you start seeing specters everywhere and becoming kind of paranoid it's really interesting to look at the you know to the way they see the truth they'll speak the truth so you know if a scorpio tells you you're good at something you are good at it Mm -hmm. but they're also willing to really kind of pointedly and cruelly point out the truth like so you know in in libra Mm -hmm. you had the diplomats who are trying Mm. to smooth things over and then you get the opposite here you get scorpios you know very pointed and cruel bluntness they may say what's true but full well knowing that it will hurt unlike the next sign sagittarius that can be blunt and say the truth and hurt your feelings Mm -hmm. without even realizing it you know (laughs) right the relationship with truth is a really interesting one coming out of justice and libra um Mm. because you know the truth is an is an object there. You know, one thing I've always thought about the Prince or Knight of Cups is that his relationship of with truth is deep but complicated. It's like, you know, you can mm. find truth in art, right? But it's not the literal truth. It is a truth that you get to through fiction, through art, through distortion. It's the truth of metaphor, not the 
truth of facts. And I think that can be difficult to deal with in some ways, because, you know, if you're someone who really wants the facts, that's not necessarily what you're going to get. And we should probably talk about Scorpio being the only sign that really has three creatures. Oh, yeah. Associated Mm -hmm. with us, you know, the, the three manifestations or levels of Scorpio. Yeah, that's just how deep they are. So we've got the uh, the scorpion as the base level, the serpent as or snake as the middle level, and then the exalted form is the eagle, or sometimes I think the phoenix, they might say. That's yeah. what I've seen too. Interestingly enough, Alan Oaken, oh, and he can, calls it the dove. Can you repeat that? I, he oh, says yeah. those are the, the mystics and healers. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of dove, you know, that sounds so Venusian, but... There is a transcendent But then it makes quality. me think of the serpent and the dove in the tower card, you know? Right. The Mars serpent and, and dove it's, thing. it's also in the, um, I think it's also in the hierophant, maybe, or at least the dove is. I can't remember if the serpent is. Uh, the ascending serpent and the descending dove. It's always universally agreed that the scorpion level is kind of the lowest level. The, they're the ones, you know, that are really the the ones that'll sting you over and over again, <laughs> not for out of sheer love of stinging, you know? Uh, the, the yeah. Those are the more negative traits of jealousy and uh, possession and, you know, compulsiveness and suspicion. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they always say the eagle is the high-minded, the the strong, courageous yeah. leaders, you know, um, the, the best manifestation. But then with the snake, I've seen different things. Like I've seen the snake as being like the, you know, the healers and doctors and transformative states. And then I've also seen the snake described as, you know, the in between the scorpion and the eagle a state of that's kind of like neurotic. Um, yeah, I mean I think there's an ambivalence of snakes uh, with snakes that's right. universal, you know? It's sort right. of like whether it's wisdom or is it evil, you know? And a lot of that has to do with how you feel about knowledge, you know? <laughs> you know, like the right. snake in the garden of Eden is either the illuminator, you know, the great right. uh, Promethean the figure or the yeah, tempter. exactly, or the tempter and it it really does uh, come down to which way you look at it and how you use it. I'm, and similarly, the idea of venom versus the idea of medicine with poisons generally, you know, a little bit, mm. a little bit is healing and yet, you know, or it'll kill you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's much clearer the distinction between the eagle and the scorpion. Like one example that I read yeah. was, you know, the eagle will defeat it and crush its enemy so that it will never come back after it again. That victory is enough. Well, the Scorpio will defeat and crush its enemy, wait a while and defeat its crush its enemy again, because it's not content with evening (laughs) the score. It has to one-up, you know? (laughs) Right. It has to totally decimate and, you know, get vengeance again and again. (laughs) Years to get vengeance and that kind of attitude. Yeah, or it's the idea of the, you know, the the old fable of the scorpion crossing the river, you know, on the turtle's back and it stings the turtle and the turtle's like, why'd you do that? Now we're both going to die. And the scorpion's like, it's in my nature. (laughs) I can't help it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's something very alchemical about this sign as well. You know, Mm. the, the transformative quality where either you become invincible or you die or both. (laughs) That's interesting because, you know, another archetype of Scorpio, the surgeons and the doctors, Mm -hmm. the healers, especially the surgeons with Mars involved that are really going to get down in there, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and fix it. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also, on the, there's also the archetype of the the generals and the you know the martial thing, you know this the the mm-hmm. generals and warriors and uh, scientists. And another interesting thing that I read about Scorpio is more presidents have been born under the sign of Scorpio than any other sign. No shit. That was interesting. Yeah. U.S. presidents, yeah? Yeah, that's weird. That's interesting. I would not have guessed that. I know a lot A lot of them have um, prominent Gemini as well as the U.S. chart, but that's I didn't know about that. Interesting. Well, we are a very martial country, for better or for worse. Yeah. And actually, when you think about it, you know, think about the eagle as as a as an American right. symbol. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a it's a Roman throwback. Rome also being a very martial empire, of course. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about the fall of the moon in Scorpio? I never know quite what to say to my clients who have Scorpio moons. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, maybe it has something to do with Scorpio being a very emotional sign, even though it's it's hidden, and the moon also being emotional, that maybe it's intensifying that, as well as the it going against the moon with its fluctuations and its instability going against that really fixed nature of Scorpio. Yes, yes, that's true. Watery and fluctuating versus watery and fixed. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the moon in Taurus, you think about the fertility. Maybe it's fertility versus like fermentation. Yeah, life and death. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The putrefaction, fertility versus mm-hmm. putrefaction. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to say that our Scorpio moon friends are putrescent. <laughs> 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 but the idea that, you know, there's a destructive quality, a burn it all down quality to right. um, yeah, the, with the tower placements. Yeah, you know, Mars, of course. Yeah. Maybe it's a, um, the fallen moon as a, ability to kind of go to the dark side, you know, and see the dark things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Moon and Scorpio, the Death Star. (laughs) Come to the dark side, Luke. (laughs) It's real interesting, too, this um, phenomenon I've read of with the sign Scorpio. And, you know, that has to do with the death card and its theme of regeneration. Is that uh, there's an interesting thing that happens in families where either when when a scorpio is born either within a, the year before or the year after someone in the family dies and vice really? versa when a scorpio dies within a year mhm e- in either direction one is born that's kind of weird that is kind of weird i never heard that that's fascinating but also very true to the archetype so yeah i don't know it's- if it's true or not but i thought it was an interesting statistic if it's if it's actually or just probably it's just something people have observed well speaking of which i mean thinking about the um, correspondence of death to Scorpio is always fascinating to me. I think it's one of the, I don't know, the most thought-provoking correspondences we have in tarot, the coordination of those two concepts of Scorpio and the death card. Because by thinking about Scorpio, I think it really helps people get over their any kind of like hesitation or weirdness they might have about the death card. It is truly a transformative idea. Not just the idea that you die, but the idea that it's a freeing, first of all, ending of some kind of suffering and a freeing of resources for something to be reborn. It's such a cyclical uh, process, but it's that thing that happens in the center of the water cycle. We often talk about the hanged man as that quest for secret knowledge in a way, Mm. Um, you know, the Odin myth. I think of the cancer archetype 
of the chariot as the questing part of it, how to, how to feel desire, how to meet desire, how to deal with it in your life. And then the death archetype or the Scorpio archetype as being how to surrender, you know, that transaction in secret at the heart of that quest. And then having gone through that, the Pisces or moon card archetype has to do with how to rise transformed, how to achieve an altered consciousness, what comes after the death of the ego or whatever kind of symbolic death you've gone through. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially the death card is being ruled by the tower. This is the big drama <laughs> at the heart of it, right? Which we see with all fixed signs, there's always like a, a major transaction that happens, uh, a major turn that happens at the anchor point of the element. Uh, one thing I like to think about is uh, when you look at the death card is this idea of you can see in the Wade Smith card, there's a river behind it. So that's, you know, the river of loss, you know, and we, we see that echoed in, in the five of cups. But in that first decan of Scorpio, I think of that as the sting of the scorpion, you know, the real painful part, the martial part, uh, the part that's ruled by, by deprivation by Mars. And then, the central part is ruled by the sun. And, you know, to me, that's, that's the Samhain sun. That's the, you know, that's the, the sun shining through the realms. That's the sun that reunites death and life, um, you know, and thins the veil. And you can see that in the, uh, background of the card, that sun. And I think what Waite says about it, he says, behind death lies the whole world of ascent in spirit. So, you know, that's that idea of the sun going through this transformation to rise again. I always think about like, you know, the reunification of death and life. I think of the, the movie Coco. Did you see that? The Pixar movie? <laughs> No, which is it's no. about the the day of the dead tradition in Mexico, where you know families are reunited. They you know children and and parents and everybody goes to the graveyard and has a big party. There's something really cheerful in that second decan. It's a celebration, really, of mm -hmm. the not just of the those who have gone before, but those who are to come. Yeah. So there's you know there's something that's very beautiful about that. The renewal of the sun. And then the, the final Venus rule decan is, I think of that as being represented by the, what Waite called the mystic rose on the, uh, on the banner there. The mysteries of rebirth and creation, the persistence of life, eternal life being represented by Venus in that final decan. The white rose is supposed to signify life continuing. So I think all this, all the secret symbols are there on the card. But also in the Crowley death card, it's very serpentine. Crowley talks about the undulations of the serpent as right. kind there's of a, the There's a definite sense of movement and motion, which is very, you know, like martial, the idea mm -hmm. of motion and, and through time. And movement kind of relates to the um, the Hebrew letter, actually. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Movement. yeah the letter uh, letter noon, you mean? Yes. Yeah, as being related to fish, um, and also it's the first letter of serpent in Hebrew, nechesh, as well, which mm -hmm. is you know, as they say, always very significant. And it also, you know, in the Crowley card, he's got the crown of Osiris, right? So Osiris being the ruler of the underworld, where you know, the Apophis serpent is said to dwell um, and battle the sun every night as it goes through through that transition on its bark, the bark of Ra. And it's got this, you know, this what looks like 
the descent of souls and then the, this, mm-hmm. this force coming out of the phallic region that looks really <laughs> like DNA, you know, yes. like a spiral of new life. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, yeah, look at it squinty. It's, it's like death is ejaculating this, you know, <laughs> uh, this, these souls forth into life. The idea of the skeleton in the side there, they're so Saturnine, but mm-hmm. Crowley uses that phrase, Radeant Saturnia Regna, the return of the reign of Saturn, you know, the idea of Saturn as a benevolent agricultural god, which to me ties in those ideas of the king is dead, long live the king, you know, and yeah, the king is yeah. the fertility and, you know, the of the king, land. The body regenerating the fertility of the earth, you know? Yeah. The sign's yeah. very much like compost. <laughs> yes. Yes, it really is. And the, uh, that idea also of Nun, you know, the fish of Nun being something that you once would bury in the earth for fertility, right? Like the right. three under sisters your, under your in corn. Your garden, under all your plants. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or if you've ever used fish emulsion, which is the stinkiest goddamn thing ever, but, uh, but really does work. <laughs> it really does. Plants yeah. Love it. They just love it. You know, there's something very nitrogenous about, about the fish as, Death. And and also, death is the redeemer, too. Well, if we want to go right into the Kabbalah, you know, it's that path from Netzach to Tiferet. And Tiferet, we often think of as the sacrificial redeemer, as Christ-like figures, Dionysian figures, you know, those who sacrifice themselves, the the, the sacrificial king, again. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the fish being a Christian symbol, right? So not only, yeah, yeah Ichthus, the Jesus Christus Theuhuios Soter, the, the initials in Greek spelling out um, the Greek word for fish. So we have those connections both from Hebrew and Greek with the fish symbol uh, and the idea of redemption. And so, you know, and I often think of that with that path from uh, Netzach to Tiferet, that, you know, Netzach is victory, and we often talk about Christ as a figure who represents victory over death, but it's also translated as eternity. So that also picks up not only on, you know, the death of Christ being the key to quote unquote eternal salvation, but if you'd want to look at it in a non-Christian context, it's also the eternal renewal of life, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's even when there's a death, it's just another stage that prepares the way for new life which always fascinates me about that whole path. It's also interesting how it's opposite the path of the devil. Yeah. And I kind of look at that as like life, the life force and the death force, you know, the gates mm-hmm. of matter and the gates of death. <laughs> That's true. Two ways into the same concept. Yeah, it is particularly interesting that way. And also there's a reflection. Also the devil as the serpent, you know, the, and also the tempter and redeemer, that kind of, they kind and of And the together. devil as ruled by Saturn, who's, whose appearance also, you know, shows up in the death card. Yeah. Someday I want to make a pair of boots that are custom <laughs> custom made, and I want the death card on one and the devil card on the other. Oh, that's super cool. That's super <laughs> cool. Badass, wouldn't it? That would be super badass. Yeah, plus leather is, to me, like something that combines sort of Marshall and Saturnine um, qualities about it. I don't know why, but Definitely. Um, leather and tobacco both... Uh, well, tobacco in particular is that martial sacred substance that's both um, healing medicine and incredibly dangerous and toxic and poisonous for your body in the wrong doses. I'm looking at the uh, the three 
decanic miners and it's mm-hmm. it's really super obvious in the in the thoth ones like mm-hmm. on on <laughs> the left with the five it's not enough it's loss it's the severity of mars you know and and then on the right you got the excess of venus you know the the yeah. debauch pleasure that's turned to debauch and then in the middle with the sun you get the balance of it's just right you know <laughs> just right and and that's you know that sequence that we see in all five six sevens the six is always where it's just right and just the five right, is yeah. you know a little bit too little and the seven is a little bit too much the five looks forward to the six the seven looks back at the six, you know, each of them yep. trying to get there without being able to because of the imbalance. And, you know, and, and in general, that, that death card is a key to understanding the specific imbalance of the seven and the six when you take them together. You know, the idea, and maybe we should have talked about this more in the five and the six with adjustment, but, but the idea that the, the fault that's inherent in the seven has to do with trying to hold on to the six, just as, you know, the way that you deal badly with death is by trying to hold on. The idea Mm -hmm. is to let go in order to be able to recycle and renew. I think Crowley specifically says that in the six of cups, the sun's fierce but balanced power is the basis of all fertility of all life, which is, I think, crucial uh, whereas he talks about the five as, you know, that concept of the double Mars, triple Mars, actually, right? Yes, uh, triple Mars. Yeah, the, the, the Mars of Givura, the Mars ruling the Deccan and the Mars ruling the sign of Scorpio. So three at once. It is, in some ways, I think, the most powerful minor, you know, in the deck because it's got this incredible martial force behind it. And uh, And he talks about it as the idea of disturbance after a time of ease, which you can either think of as like coming upwards from the six to the five, from the six of cups to the five of cups traveling up the tree, or you can think of it as coming out of zodiacally the four of swords, right? Right. Which just immediately precedes it. So either way, it's a shock to the system. <laughs> right. From truce to Mars, Mars, and Mars. Mars <laughs> <Four>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then there's the uh, malarious morass of the yes. seven of cups. <laughs> it's interesting because I, th- I I think the two seven of cups, the Rider-Waite-Smith and the Thoth, really represent two different ways of thinking about that putrefaction, right? You know, putrefaction is you know, ooh, gross, it's not what it was. It's turning into something dead and ugly, or it's turning into something new, something new and beautiful in its way, you know, which yeah. I think as being the vision of the artist in the Seven of right. Cups. The colors in an oil slick. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it is interesting, you know, you know, if you've ever looked at, you know, rotting vegetation or something, you know, you think about how how gross it is and how you don't really want to touch it, but at the same time, that is the fertility for the next season being mm-hmm. created before your eyes. In the center of that rotting fruit, there's a seed that's going to be fed by right. that right. material. And it's not only beneficial, but necessary for the mm. putrefaction to happen. When we look at the decanic imagery for the five, six, and seven, so that's Lords of Disappointment. Loss and Pleasure. Of loss and pleasure. Yeah, disappointment or loss and pleasure. Loss and pleasure. And then the six of cups is pleasure. And then the seven of cups is debauch, as you said, or illusionary success. That's interesting to think about. The the Deccan 
imagery is very perilous. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you want to handle these 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 spirits and these faces with kid gloves because they are not messing around. The first decan is that man with in his right hand a lance. Why is there always a lance in people's right hands? <laughs> uh, lance. <laughs> and in the left hand, the head of a man, you know. Doesn't it seem like That's the first... Marshall. Yeah, doesn't it seem like the first decan of the sign always seems to express the ruler more forcefully? It kind of mm. seems like that, I don't know, than the others. And then Agrippa has, yeah, that has the two men striking the woman which yeah. is so super disturbing and uh and there's the settlement and sadness and ill will beauty strife and treachery so more of that sort of like beauty and death facing off uh, with with each other which we'll also see in the 7 of cups which has uh evil works sex with unwilling women drunkenness fornication and that one one of the images from Agrippa is a man bowed on his knees with a woman striking him with a staff. So yeah, sounds like some dominatrix. Doesn't action. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like the opposite of what we saw in Agrippa's version of the five, um, which has the men striking the women. Um, but it definitely shows that if it's not consensual, there's definitely some martial conflict going on between the, the sexes here. And it has to do with sex in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the um, Picatrix has a horse and a rabbit for the Seven of Cups, so I'm I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Yeah, it just makes me think of sexual deviations. I know, you know the you know the rabbit's famous um, right proclivity and uh, but yeah, and then even the Six of Cups, which we consider you know kind of the best expression of the sign. Uh, well, we've got a man riding a camel and holding a scorpion, or a woman and a man naked, a man sitting uh, with two dogs biting, something like that. I, I can't quite read what I wrote here. But um, mischief and deceit and speaking evil. It's almost like Picatrick really, really viewed these three decans in a cautionary way. I, I would be very hesitant to make a talisman out of any of these decans, honestly. Yeah. They're kind of terrifying. It's almost speaking to the moon detriment mm. there, and in, in detriment in Scorpio because of the the, the camel scorpion, yeah. and then the two dogs. That's very lunar. Yeah, for I sure. Don't know. In terms of magic, you can do so. Agrippa says that you want to do this with the first face of Scorpio rising in the hour of Mars. So on a Tuesday, presumably. Uh, you want us to make the image of a soldier crowned and armed, girt with a sword, a sword, <laughs> and in his right hand, in his right hand, the usual, a long lance. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be for boldness, courage, good fortune in wars and um, contentions, which makes sense. But I think what's kind of interesting is to contrast it with the Aries magical working, which is specifically about like terrifying other people and striking fear into their hearts, making yourself look bigger than you are kind of a thing. So mm. there's something more defensive versus offensive about this one, I think. I don't know. That's just my impression. You know, maybe we should, since we're talking about Scorpio, maybe we should talk about the Watcher of the West, the constellation and the fixed star on Terry's. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, the Watcher of the West and West always being associated with 
death. Yes. You know, the Egyptians and even many other cultures associate the West and the setting sun, I guess, as mm-hmm. you know, associated with death. Or ancestors, where the spirits go. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, Antares, so that is a very scorpionic expression because it's one of those royal stars that brings glory but has a downfall that to be avoided. And the downfall <laughs> for Antares is obsession and seeking mm-hmm. extremes and, you know, and that's, you know, the danger inherent in it. Mm-hmm. The idea that you can have, you know, penetrating understanding good memory, but and driving away or binding evil spirits. But again, that obsessive downfall. Do do all the watcher stars do do all of those stars have, you know, sort of a Achilles heel to them? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. They all they all have a great power, you know, that they can confer mm-hmm. upon you. But they have something to, that can lead to your downfall. If it, they have like a dark side that if you if you go there, then you're gonna get brought down. Yeah, it's with, like with Regulus, it's if you if you take revenge, even if mm-hmm. it's justified, you will mm-hmm. be brought down. If it, you know, with Antares, if you constantly seek extremes and and obsessions, that will be mm-hmm. your downfall. You know. Do you know what it is for Aldebaran and for uh, Fomalhaut? I think Aldebaran's has to do with integrity, like mm-hmm. business integrity. And I remember Fomalhaut that. Fomalhaut is seeking fame. If you try to seek right. fame. The the benefits are very worldly, and the and the downsides are worldly as well. There, in fact, I think there's like some argument for viewing the royal stars as malefics. Yeah, because they have You're not careful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful what you ask for with, with those yeah. um, fixed watcher stars. Oh, and we Mid- should mention just mm-hmm. what the meaning of Antares oh, yeah. is, which means the rival of Mars or the equivalent of Mars because it's a, right. it's a red star. And it's bright. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a bit about some of the myths of Scorpio. There's definitely that journey through the duat, uh, which I, I associate with, with it because the sun god, mm-hmm. Ra, uh, ends up either meeting Osiris or becoming Osiris at the climax of that journey, as well as traveling through the serpent form of Apophis mm-hmm. um, yep. to reach the other side. Uh, other Scorpio myths? Well, there's the obvious one of Orion, the mm-hmm. hunter, who um, was chased and killed by the scorpion for bragging about his hunting prowess to <laughs> Gaia. He said he was going to be able to kill all the animals, and Gaia was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the scorpion after you and um so you you see that in the sky whenever uh, yeah. scorpio rises orion sinks um, yeah even in the sky he can't get away from it you think you're okay once you're apotheosized into a star <laughs> and then orion was resurrected so mm-hmm. that's bringing in another scorpio theme by ophicus the serpent bearer right which is also very a scorpion thing when you see in the sky, Ophiuchus is standing on the head of the scorpion as it sets, you know, symbolically crushing it. And then here's some more Scorpio themes. Well, so so Zeus gets mad uh, that Ophiuchus interfered in Orion's death and resurrected him. And so he sends an eagle. There's another Scorpio. No, theme. right. Aquila. <laughs> sends a, the eagle after him for interfering. So when mm-hmm. now when Ophiuchus sets, the eagle rises. So mm-hmm. you see this myth playing as they they rise and set in in mm-hmm. tandem. Yeah, you can cool. almost see it like a um, sidereal play. Yeah, uh, yep, unfolding in the sky. And another thing that's interesting is you know it's the constellation has mostly been 
seen as a scorpion, but the in, uh, Maoris of New Zealand thought it was a fish hook, which is kind of cool yeah. to think of. Fish and fish, fish as noon and fish hook as um, Aries, Mars, you know, and, and that whole Mars deal going on. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it really is. There's another really great myth that's part of the Epic of Gilgamesh that I, I didn't really know. But after the death of Enkidu, when he's mourning and he's kind of looking for the secrets of immortality, he goes on a quest to find the last survivor of the flood who is named Utana Pishtim. Or something like that. And, uh, and part of it is that he has to go through this 36 mile tunnel in complete darkness. You know, mm, that sounds like the Apep serpent. Doesn't it? Yeah. So there's that sort of like, you know, that, that is that journey through the darkness, through the abyss. And then, so he finds him and, and the guy basically says, look, you know, be grateful for the gifts the gods have given you. Don't seek to attain immortality. He makes him actually stay awake for, a week, you know, six days and six nights or something like that to see if he can do it and warrant immortality and he can. But Utana Pishtim does take pity on him and give him this magic plant, um, which will not make him immortal, but for the duration of his life will keep him youthful. And mm-hmm. uh, so he takes the plant, he heads back, and uh, I think he gets like bit by a snake or and he drops it or something and the snake gets it so that's why the snake sheds its skin and is renewed yeah Yeah. Yeah. interesting yeah yeah which i think is a a great origin myth for the for the shedding of the snake skin which which is just another metaphor for you know for rebirth and you know and it's interesting that even in the eden myth what does the serpent say to eve he says you know eat this fruit and you won't die (laughs) you know so that is his truth, right? That he, mm-hmm. you know, he's eternally reborn. Oh, we didn't really talk about court cards exactly. We talked a little bit about the 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 five and six of cups as as domain of the knight or prince of cups. Those two he, extremes of pleasure and yeah. loss and pleasure. Yeah, always transforming between the two of them. It's sort of a loss, turning loss into art, turning into pleasure. And of course, there's the idea of the little death being the height of pleasure, that sort of um, juxtaposition of the concepts of Eris and Thanatos. And love and death. Love and death, desire, um, desire and death sort of intertwined, which is interesting because they, they sort of culminate in the Seven of Cups, which doesn't even belong to the Knight of Cups or Prince of Cups. Oh, and interestingly, both the Prince of Cups in Thoth and the Knight of Cups in Raider Waite Smith, you can see that river of death winding through them, um, mm. doing its thing. Uh, I forgot to mention in the Libra episode the relationship of the Knight of Cups or Prince of Cups and the Queen of Swords, water of air and air of water. And again, that relationship between two understandings of the truth. Um, she who is like searching through for the truth rationally through justice, um, through equal measurement, um, through sort of triangulating uh tacking to one side then the other to arrive at the truth in this very sort of rational way versus the Prince of Cups or Knight of Cups sort of diving deep for what is maybe an archetypal or unconscious or metaphorical truth rather than a literal one. And, you know, the tension between them. And I've often seen that playing out with people I consider to represent those two characters. You know, they they kind of, there's an attraction, but also like they detest each other because... Yeah, <laughs> you know it's interesting like... the hexagrams for each of those you know one is wind over lake and the other mm-hmm. one's lake over wind yeah and 
you know, so it's like one is wind over lake. The Scorpio one is inner inner truth, mm-hmm. whereas the other one is inner strength. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's similarities. Yeah, there are similarities. So they they have an understanding, and you know, I sometimes like to think about what that's like. Does water of fire and fire of water have a relationship? And you know, I think that different elements and their inverses definitely do have some kind of chemistry going on, but I I really see it with with those two in particular. And then that final decan of Scorpio, the Seven of Cups, belongs to the the King or Knight of Wands. Yeah, Um, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because that's, uh, I'm I'm a King Mm -hmm. or Knight of Wands, although I'm the middle decan birth-wise, but I'm well familiar with debauch as being a (laughs) place of weakness and retreat in times of stress. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, the shadow decan, that's a good way to think of it, sort of like a, a, a something that emerges under stress. And and I think about it also as, you know, the, the king or knight of wands with those, the, those qualities of strength and swiftness has a real, you know, the brilliance of the entrepreneur, but also, you know, movers and, and shakers can have a decadent side as well, you know, mm. sort of like a well, with all these gifts, <laughs> what am I going to do with them? Right. So, partay, <laughs> partay. Oh, colors? Did we talk color? We haven't talked colors. No, we didn't do colors yet. So, um, the Scorpio colors are the colors of water and the muck underneath it. <laughs> yes. uh, the, you know, the, the decomposing matter at the bottom of a deep body of water. So, it's the green blue the beautiful water, deep water color. And then you have dull brown, very dark brown, and vivid indigo brown like a black beetle, which really brings in the death and putrefaction and, you know, decomposition element. Huh, that's interesting. I thought it was livid indigo brown, which is livid being the sort of bluish. Yeah, li- livid. Co- yeah, livid. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, livid, yeah, yeah. Livid. <laughs> so livid indigo brown is an interesting one because it's like I had to look up what livid means because even though you know I use the word all the time I don't really know what it means in a color sense and it was supposed to sort of indicate that bluish leaden color of a bruise mm-hmm. so livid indigo brown is like both blue and violet and brown it's like this weird you know mushy color <laughs> that uh, indicates damage in some way which is super evocative. It, these yep. colors kind of remind me of what we talked about in the sort of turbid waters of cancer, mixed mm. muddy colors. Yes. But darker. And the fertility, mm-hmm. the fertility. And those are actually the colors of the, you know, the god Osiris was either mm-hmm. portrayed as being black, all those dark colors, mm-hmm. or green. Here we've got, you know, brown and green, but it's, or almost black, like a black beetle, you know? Yeah, black beetle. Yeah, like a Japanese beetle or something like that. But those, to the Egyptians, those colors were both colors of fertility. You know, green, obviously, with its connotations Mm -hmm. of growth, but black with the fertility of the Nile plain. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's sort of like thinking of these two expressions of Mars, one being, you know, fiery and red, 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 and then this other expression being dark, 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 you know? Mm you know, the destruction and death <laughs> and different sides of, of what that looks like, a bright side and a dark side. Uh, oh, well, we should talk about the uh, geomantic um, correspondence. Right. The, 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 the sign or the figure is so baleful that if you draw it first, you're supposed to just ditch the whole reading. Yeah. Looks like a upside down kind of cup figure, I guess. 
Right, which really brings that uh, Five of Cups to mind. Yeah. The inverted yeah. cup, the loss. Mm-hmm. It's supposed and to be good and evil and evil and good. <laughs> right. There's a deceptive quality, too, which really rep- uh, underscores the what we heard in the Picatrix Deccan descriptions. And it really does describe Scorpio in a sense that there's the extremes of passion and, mm-hmm. and loss, pleasure and loss. And then there's also the attraction to power. Yeah. Rules over the sex organs of the body, the genitals, melodesic uh, terms. The sexual and eliminative organs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't yeah. need to call names, but. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that sort of alchemical references in there. See, besides the animals, the scorpion, eagle, uh, snake, we've also got, and phoenix, we've got the bat, the panther, the wolf, vulture, Vulture, of course. Beetles and spiders. Scarabs, yep. Uh, Wormwood. Wormwood. Yes. Oh, and by the way, for animals, it's not just, it's both water animals and quote unquote small dry earth animals. I think that's a Picatrix thing. So, Hmm. you know, again, those themes of both wet and dry. Oh, and so you were saying um, trees? Blackthorn. Uh, Blackthorn, right. And you. um, Mm, Yes, definitely. Cacti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes Poke sense. You. <laughs> Aspens and elders, which are both kind of trees of death. Um, Onions and leeks, which I guess is a Mar- Mars. Oh, thing. yeah. All the delicious Mars plants. Um, yeah, tobacco. Garlic, garlic and onions and. Yep. Yeah. Probably uh, stimulants. <laughs> probably. Salty tastes, I've heard. Um, salt water, I guess. Stony places. Dry lands, prisons, and sad places, which sounds kind of Capricornian too, but, you know, just places yeah. that you don't really want to be, places where scorpions live. Oh, that's interesting too, the scorpion, where scorpions live, because that's another thing mm-hmm. I forgot to mention when we were talking about the constellation, that it's in one of the darkest parts of the sky. Yeah. Just like in life, Scorpio, scorpions are live in dark mm-hmm. corners. <laughs> uh, metals and gemstones, we've got bloodstone. Uh, Steel and iron. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Beryl. I have marine pearls, um, which I guess kind of makes sense. But still, I think, yeah. (laughs) No, there's freshwater (laughs) pearls too. Coral. Oh, you know what? So, snake stone. Do you know what snake stone is? I had to look it up. No. What is it? So, I thought it was, you know, just another precious or semi precious stone. It's actually blackened bone. Ooh. Yeah. Very, very Scorpio. Like you char the bone and then it's supposed to be good for snake bite, which is fascinating. (laughs) You know? Super deathy, super goth, super hardcore. When I think of Scorpio, I always think of x rays Mm -hmm. and uh, the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And uh, also ammonites, because people used to think they were just like curled up snakes, you know, from the way uh, we've got the um, magical power of necromancy. (laughs) Well, you know, and necromancy being not just like compelling dead spirits to do your will, but anytime you're just talking to the ancestors too, you know, is is a form of necromancy. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, I suppose it is. It doesn't have to be dealing with dead bodies or doing dark, evil things. And then the magical weapon, the pain of the obligation or the oath. Yeah, that sounds like a dominatrix thing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the cross of equilibrium followed by the pain of the obligation. Right. It's, like, it's very, it's uh, pretty heavy in this 
part of the sky. <laughs> but also the oath, you know, it makes you think of blood oaths, unbreakable mm. oaths. Right, pack signed in blood. Yeah. The payment that you offer to show you're serious. <laughs> and, well, it's not one of the, the colors of the Scorpio death card. When I think of the sign, I always think of the colors of, like, deep, dark blood red as being yeah. a very Scorpio color and black, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. Oh, and I forgot to mention smells benzoin, which seems to be for a number of different things. One of those sweet resins, which is also has sort of an oozy blood-like quality, you know. Uh, it's an expression mm. of the tree's lifeblood. And apoponics, which is, you know, like sweet myrrh. And um, it's also known as bisaboline. If you smell it, it has this almost a almost a creamy, funky quality, you know, sort of like, ugh, you know, like it's one of those <laughs> yep. perfume ingredients that, that you almost don't want to smell. And yet right, it's a little like bit of it is, yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit of it Sickly is sweet. White flowers, similarly, you know, like jasmine, it's mm. sort of like, it's just on the turn. Yeah. Indoles. Yeah, uh, they smell like yeah. shit. Yeah, but at the same time, there's something it's like, like you're just allure in a good way, in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that same idea of like a little bit of the forbidden is something that uh, yeah, that we're attracted that compels. to. Yeah, that compels. That's the right word for it. Yeah. All right. Um, got anything else? I think I'm I'm tapped out here. No, I think I think that we we did it. I think. All right. So uh, some of the themes of Scorpio are, of course, penetrating and hypnotizing, mesmerizing and magnetic. Uh, yeah, that's one thing we didn't mention under the archetypes. That's another archetype mm. is the the fervently religious preacher, you know, that that mesmerizes his followers or even like a Charlie yes. Manson type who is he was a Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like can't stop listening. Uh, compulsive power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the claws of the scorpion. Uh, Zubinel Janubi and Zumines Shamale. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Although the, that was the Libra stars, but still, that was still, part of the claws. Any of the excuse to say that. <laughs> I know. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, secrets and strategy. Antares um, uh, and obsession. Mm-hmm. Looking into the... The, the dark and hidden sides of things, vampires, uh, thinning of the veil, uh, walking on this side of life, the dead joining us, uh, the Samhain sun. Married sunglasses of the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the transformation, uh, the truth in fiction, disappointment or loss in pleasure, debauch and illusionary success and pleasure itself. Alchemical processes. and surgeons. Necromancers. <laughs> <laughs> the femme fatale. Uh, deep dark tunnels. Uh, snakes, of course, of, of every form. Orcs, serpents, eagles, and scorpions. Yeah. And perhaps doves and serpents. Yeah, the, the evil and healing sides of the snake. The healing and evil sides of medicine or venom. The poison, the path. vital force and powerful will of the Mars factor, and the the uh, glyph of Scorpio looking like either the, you know, the stinging barb of the scorpion or an erect organ. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that's true too. Okay, 
All right. I think we've done it. This has been a a deep and penetrating dive, I hope, (laughs) into Scorpio. Thank you for coming with us through the dark. And we will be back next time with Sagittarius. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore fortunes wheelhouse gear like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more by checking out our red bubble shop. That's at www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support. <laughs>